Hi everybody and welcome back to B2B Now. Uh, this week you've got myself, Matt and Ollie and we're focusing on the topical issue of data-driven marketing. So we kick off with a simple one. What, what is it? I suppose it's the process of using data to inform your marketing decisions. Okay. And is that, has that not always been the case? What, why, is it, why is it popping up more and more at the minute? Uh, I suppose what's happening these days is that we've got more access to um, data and, and more technology in place to help um, analyse that data. Yep. As we're getting more and more volumes of it. I mean, big data has been a term for, for years. Um, and I big think data sounds like a lot of things. No, it, that's been knocking around for a long time now, yeah, hasn't it, in yeah. the sense of it, which I don't think many people have actually had the tech or capabilities to actually embrace it or own it or even like dabble in that space, I guess it's well, been a... I think you've made a point when we spoke about this previously that it's very much been theoretical for, for most people, yeah. uh, unless you're a, an organisation that already has a vast warehouse of data and the, the capabilities to, to really start delving down, modeling that data, analyzing that data. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine what percentage of companies that um, kind of accounts for, but I'm assuming it's less than 1%. Yeah, okay. And when, and when we talk about data-driven marketing or the whole data debacle as it is at the minute, following things like uh, the great hack on Netflix and the Cambridge Analytica scandal and those kind of things, I think that, for me, has brought data to the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Yeah, um, made a and, bit of a scary slash bad word. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, and, you know, you're hearing, what is it, that data's more valuable than oil or whatever it is and all these kind of... These, these are things that you're hearing regularly amongst different mm-hmm. peer groups and things that have been thrown around at the minute. Is it something we should be frightened of, do you think? Well, I suppose with the likes of um, the GDPR coming in what was yeah. it, last year now, yeah. um, enough people think that the answer to that is yes. Okay. Um, as more and more companies are gathering data on us and we don't know what's out there, I suppose yeah. Yeah, people have a right to be a bit worried about what everybody's gathering, okay. especially because we see that time and time again in, in like what the last five years that companies security isn't always up to scratch sure it's like data breaches and leaks and that kind of thing as well okay and in terms of i guess uh, let's delve a bit deeper into you so your your personal preferences how (laughs) how how precious are you about your data uh me personally yeah not very okay I'm in the same boat, so I'm, I'm probably in that camp here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a person who I probably only have two or three different passwords. And I, Are you accepting been, T's and C's readily and freely? Never read a T and C once. Okay, I <laughs> appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Never read an end user license agreement, whatever it is, scroll down, tick that box. No, but I was surprised listening to um, the 99p Gen Z podcast with the younger guys. I think they're arguably more data conscious that maybe our generation yeah. was, as is what, what, what I'm seeing at the minute, because on their own podcast, they were discussing it, and they were like, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't click accept on a TNC. And I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think every website I've ever been on, I've just sailed through it. Same for me, like cookies. I'm yeah. checking that box, I'm clicking that button straight away. You can have all the cookies you want. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I guess on the, I went to a conference in Arnhem with, with E3, with the network we're involved with, yeah. and the whole focus of the conference over the two or three day period was data-driven marketing, um, which was interesting looking at the tools and technologies that are out there, and I think we can come on to that later. But in reality, for the average business at the minute, and say the average business, we're talking SMEs or even, or even you know, some, some, mm-hmm. some global businesses that we work with, how much data do you think people actually have? How well do you think they know their customers or clients? At this I think there's probably stage? a bit of a difference between how much data they have and how much data they have ready to actually use okay. in, in a way that they can manipulate in a useful way, not, yeah. not using that as a bad term. No, no. Uh, for example, I'd assume that they've got at least a record of every company they work with and probably have worked with potentially ever, but at least for the last few years. Yeah. 
But have they supplemented that data with extra information, sort of company yep. size and company turnover and things like that? Sure. In some cases, yes. In other cases, that might be down in a notes field somewhere else that isn't really ready to be kind of pivoted yep. in a spreadsheet. For, for so the qu- the quality of the data is that should that be most people's starting points? Even even like a even like a CRM system to an extent of um, yeah, I think r- rubbish in rubbish out. Is it the same? Is the same? I think mentality? it's very similar. Like. Um, if I was going to start and, and we we hadn't done anything to do with data, I think the first place I'd start is, is that kind of uh, modeling of customer data so you can start understanding who your customers are and, and who you should be targeting in the future and things like that because that should be relatively easy to supplement. So uh, ideally looking at who your ideal customer could be, yeah. buying patterns, what kind of products, services, yeah. And you can start taking that further. We've talked about uh, this in, in regards to the likes of um, what, when you're approaching like um a new business deal or sales opportunity, are you speaking to um, the decision maker? And yeah. if so, that's an extra point in favor and, yeah. and things like that. So over time, you can start to realize, oh, if, if we're speaking to an influencer but not the decision maker in a deal, yeah. then our chance of winning that deal goes down X percent. Therefore, in future, we can start thinking, well, let's not pursue this opportunity if we don't have um, so access to the class, decision like, I guess lead qualification is arguably a form of data-driven yeah. decision-making in a way. Yeah. Maybe not marketing, but data decision-making. Okay. Yeah, which can then go on to inform your marketing going down the line. Yeah, okay. And the typical areas where we're seeing this cropping up at the minute across our own client base and prospects and so on, where is data starting to rear its head in campaigns? Is, is there certain elements? Is it more social media-based stuff? Is it broader than that these days? Or I mean, I guess you've got a lot of things. It, it depends on what you classify as data because obviously you've got consumer data um, or customer data, whatever it might be. So we've got clients that are generating leads and they're capturing that data that's going to CRMs in theory, marketing automation system, things like that. So we're seeing um, data gathering in that way being something that clients are interested in. And then there's the other aspect, which I suppose is is more like the campaign metrics, which is another form of data. Doesn't not obviously obviously personal data there, but that's a way to optimize their their marketing activity. so in that way we're seeing data used I don't think many of our clients are doing much more with the data I feel like in that regard compared to to, again some of that theory you see out there most of our clients seem to be quite far away from that that's that's definitely how it feels for me which is why I keep saying to people yes it's a trend it's something you need to be aware of it's definitely going to inform the way marketing goes but I think for most of our clients at the minute their data isn't clean enough or arguably they haven't got enough data Mm -hmm. to inform a campaign now you can spin out into things like profiling on social media maybe or something like that through through LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. building campaigns and audience groups based on certain criteria that yeah. they've put in their profile or data range. We're seeing some of that, I guess, but that's probably... Is yeah. that, is that real, realistically where we're at, do you think, at the minute across our clients then? There's that, and then there's uploading uh, data into the likes of LinkedIn. Okay. Um, so where they're up- uploading their list of target companies or yes. current companies that they work with yeah. or even email lists going yeah. into into the likes of LinkedIn. Obviously, the same sort of thing can be done on Facebook and other platforms. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing that as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're not going much further with that, the, with their data, really. Because I guess the only other area we're seeing is similar to what you just said in the LinkedIn side, maybe the ABM side of things. Yeah. So where people are considering more of an account-based marketing approach being more targeted with their marketing efforts. So as I said on previous podcasts, rather than casting that classic marketing net wide, narrowing the focus and kind of going in with a more laser focused spear approach of who you want to work with and why, I guess to inform that you need to have an element of data to shape those ideal customers again, don't yeah. you, I guess? I mean, I guess you can do it without it, but then it's, I think it's just not going to be as accurate as if you'd have tried 
to do some kind of locking into your own data and understanding who you should be working with because sure. we can start picking out names out, out like out of a list and start thinking yeah we'd love to work with those companies yeah but if we do that data exercise first and understand what kind of companies work with us, why do they work with us, yeah. it'll, it'll result in a lot better chance of us approaching the right companies in the first place. Yeah. And then, I guess, tied to ABM, you've got kind of the test and learn initiative. So what's being called, I think, strategic you know, you, you put a campaign out there to work out what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you need the data that comes back off that to inform those decisions, whether it's A-B testing yeah. or whether it's the test and learn kind of focus as well. I think I've seen more data-based decision-making yeah. coming in there as well with the results side of things. I'd say so, but what I think a lot of people, from my experience, don't realise is that you kind of need quite a lot of volume of data to make accurate decisions in that regard. So with regards to, let's say, A-B testing... Uh, to take a simple example where you're testing um, two ads against each other. Yeah. Uh, unless you're getting significant differences. Yeah. Sorry, so that's statistical significance. Unless you're getting vast differences in, in those two uh, in the results for those two tests, yeah. then what you're getting really isn't a meaningful result. Yeah. And you can be making a decision based on kind of just luck of the draw. One more person logging on that to LinkedIn yeah. that day and clicking that ad can drastically switch. You do see that a lot in the percentage movements and things in reports, yeah. the way they're presented to clients. And um, I think we're quite big on trying to highlight yeah. whether it is significant. Well, this, this campaign did 50% better than that one. It's so like one more person clicked. <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. that could be swayed so easily. So I think people need to realize, particularly in B2B, where I think we normally deal with. Uh, smaller volumes, yeah. higher value but smaller volumes, which means that we have to just be a bit, a bit wiser when it comes to the decision making. Okay. Um, I guess what, where else is data cropping up at the minute? Where else are we seeing it? So we've got ABM, we've got test and learn. Um, any other areas where it's cropping up across our clients at the minute? I guess what, what kind of well, let's give me one sense, tools and technology. So mm -hmm. what kind of tools and technologies are out there at the minute to better inform your data-driven infancy, as you'd call it that. So I'm thinking of things like Basumo or things like that that we use or that we see, that we've seen used. And again, we're at the yeah. conference in Arnhem, they went through a whole cycle of different tech out there that can yeah. help you in those areas. Um, so, yeah, so we've got tools like, okay, let's, let's focus on uh, Buzzsumo first because you've mentioned it. Yeah. Um, if anybody's not aware, Buzzsumo is effectively a content research tool, um, subscription-based. I think you can get a quick free trial from mm -hmm. it. Um, if you've not used it before, it can be fun to play with. You basically put in um, kind of content that you're interested in or that you might want to write about, and it'll show you what other content has been produced in that area and kind of how much uh, engagement it got, how many shares across the various social platforms, etc. With the idea being that if we want to go out and do uh, a piece of content on data-driven marketing, for example, yeah. and we've seen that somebody uh, has done that previously and it's got a lot of shares, that's great. That's a tick in our box to know it's a popular subject. If we see somebody's done a, a post about five reasons you shouldn't do um, data-driven marketing, we can equally go, okay, that was a popular piece of content. Let's go and do a top 20 or a top 50 yeah. of the same thing just to expand on it. So really it's a way just to help you understand what, what's resonated already because there's so much content out there you don't have to start from scratch all the time. You can build off the success and failures of other people. Well, I was amazed when I saw that one in terms of, you know, what we introduced it a long time ago now, but I was also amazed across Europe, not many people seem to have embraced it or be using it yet, mm. but in the sense of how you can see what content is resonating, but most importantly, how to cut through that noise that you've just discussed. So yeah. 
arguably, I, I flipped it on its head to say if certain pieces of the topic were being hammered and written about you know, to a great extent, then do you want to produce a piece of content on that? Or arguably, would it go in a different direction? Yeah. That's a different way of looking at it. But, and then the other one that always amazes me is, uh, is it Answer the Public? Yeah, Answer the Public is a, is a big fan favourite, for lack of a better term. Like, no, customers, whenever you, you pull it out, it's really impressive. So again, if anybody's not familiar with it, it it's a tool that uses Google Autocomplete data to suggest um, basically if it suggests content that you could be uh, could be focusing on so for example i was doing an example uh, going through it with a client yesterday and we put in the term silica gel really uh, fun popular topic for everybody <laughs> sexy thing um, to be right there <laughs> and it starts searching th uh, through the various different um, autocomplete uh, suggestions from google that use the term silica gel so you're getting things back like what is silica gel? How does silica gel work? What What is this silica gel that's come with my new shoes and things like that? Yeah. And you, you can start realizing quickly that you can produce content around that that will, again, start answering people's questions. And you can go a bit quirky with it, depending on what the reason you're producing the content is. Um, if, in this case, we were talking about it from an SEO point of view, I won't delve into it, but with regards to that, if you create content and it's popular and people like it, it doesn't really matter if it's directly related to your customers or not, because mm -hmm. if people are sharing it and, and linking to it, then it's benefiting your whole site. So, And also, if you know better. people are asking those types of questions and that can inform frequently asked questions and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, things like that as well. Yeah, so it's just a way to help, help you make content that people are actually looking for. And content doesn't mean a huge blog, like you say, it can be a, an FAQ that's a quick answer to a question that's being regularly searched. And do you think there's a risk with data-driven marketing that it could stifle creativity? Yes, it, 100%. Yeah. I, and I've got like nine examples of that. Well, let's go to the examples in a minute. Uh, I guess the context of why I'm asking the question is in a world of creativity, like you work with in a creative or a marketing agency, where everything's based around ideas and imagination, it seems like much a much more analytical world to take it down a... We know statistically that 42% of people will react in such and such a way to such and such an advert, mm -hmm. therefore produce that. It feels like it's kind of killing the, the essence of what is the creative yeah. era. <laughs> yeah, I think what people need to understand in general is that the insights you can get from data are, are obviously valuable. Nobody's doubting that. Yeah. But you also need to realise that that's only half of a picture. Yeah. Um, that there's something else going on. It's telling you what's happened, not why it's happened. Yeah. In the case of like campaigns and things like that, or in the case of um, in the case of obviously supplementing customer, data, it's telling you the, the facts. But again, about that customer, but not telling you why they picked you, for example, as, yeah. a, as a potential customer. Um, so that, uh, I think we've seen a, a few examples. I've experienced a few examples where that's kind of gone wrong. I would say. Yeah. So I'm not sure if everybody would agree with me, but one example I think is Facebook, where not the Cambridge Analytics stuff aside, but I think they were seeing... <laughs> just sweep that, that there. <laughs> just, just sweep that big issue aside. Pop, pop that there. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what they were seeing is that, you know, every time I logged on Facebook going back a couple of years ago, I was seeing all these videos, Lad Bible, yeah. um, proper tasty videos and things like that. Yeah. And each time I'm going like, oh, that's a pretty good video, or that meal looks amazing, like that, etc. more people see it. Yeah. But what I stopped doing over the course of a few months was loading Facebook because I was like, I don't want to see it in videos. That's, I, I'm sick of those videos. And yeah. that's all that I could ever find when I loaded the app. Yeah. And then I think it was about a year and a half ago now, they've, they've really dialed that back. So you see much more content directly from friends and family and less from less from pages, which really harmed brands like Lad Bible and, and yeah. Proper Tasty, who are no longer getting anywhere near the impressions that they were getting yeah. or they've had to explore other channels. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's they've gone down that route initially because they've seen the data says when people log on, 
they engage a lot with these, they like these, so obviously they like them, so let's give them more. Yeah. But, but they've kind of lost that vision in the process of what, what Facebook was there for in the first place, and they're focused very much on what, how people are using it now, and let's just throw more at them because that's what they're doing. It's also making assumptions, isn't it, around it? The, the data is primarily retrospective, so it's you know, what's, what's happened, what's, what's gone on in the past, not necessarily where people want to take it in the future. Yeah. I know you can progressively profile and predictive data and that kind of stuff that people will talk about, but given we're so early on in the journey, predicting what people are going to want in your own business, in your own team, mm-hmm. in, in three months' time, let alone how they yeah. want things to look and feel in 12 months, three years' time, or whatever it may be, might be a step too far at the minute, I think. So I guess the, I guess the advice for people is, yeah, use the data, look at the data, analyse the data, but um, not to the detriment of um, yeah. the, the creative Yeah, and I'd say what it needs there as well is, in, like say Facebook's example, is that core vision needs to remain. Yeah. And the same applies to, to marketing and creatives. You need to have that core vision and stick to that vision if, that, if you believe that's the right vision. And don't stray from that just because the data says people like doing something else. Yeah. There's examples from gaming as well, which I won't delve into too deeply, but where game developers these days obviously have access to huge volumes of data from how users are kind of interacting with that game. Mm-hmm. And you end up in a situation um, where... They see users are pressing that button an awful lot. Yeah. So what they do is they make it so that you can go in twice a day and press that button now. What they're not acknowledging is that users really hate logging in every day to press that button. Sure. And it's just something that they've added because they've seen people were doing it. So let's add more of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not taking that second aspect of it into account. I think, again, if they have a strong vision of what they're trying to do, then they'd probably not do that because sure. at the core, they should realize that's not what people want. But yeah. I'd say the same thing applies to marketing and applies to all our decisions. If we have a, a strong and valid vision behind what we should be doing, yeah. then that will probably help us use data as something to supplement what we're doing, not to overtake what we're doing. Another f- fear of mine, I guess we've touched on the tech stack, we've touched on the broader kind of environment where we are at the minute with it. The concern that I've got coming from a numbers background, I'll just say that, but in the sense of coming from a numbers background, there's a risk here that financiers, finance directors, procurement teams will use this data to put marketing functions and, and sales ultimately under even more pressure. So we see marketing budgets becoming under more pressure at clients, people having to fight harder um, to get the marketing budgets restored, let alone enhanced as things mm-hmm. are costing more. Um, do, do you think there's a risk of this data being used negative data in the sense of to drive well you did this campaign it's not delivered these results despite your best efforts therefore we're not we won't do that type of campaign again yeah i'd say so uh, from the point of view of things aren't easy to measure mm-hmm. i mean and some things are really easy to measure yeah. I mean, the internet has given like a whole volume of of kind of data around that you can measure every touch point along the way in theory yeah. but then you've got things like switching devices which mean that I might have seen a great campaign, I might have clicked on that campaign, and I might remember that brand name, and three months later on a different device, I go and load up that website and buy from that website. But according to the metrics, that campaign did badly because I yep. remembered it long-term, but bought through a different channel, and not and my success wasn't allocated to that campaign. Yep. The same sort of applies, I'd say, to, to things like campaigns that boost brand awareness. Yep. What's the measurable effect of that? I mean, you can go and carry out surveys to try and measure the effect, but that's going well, to be incredibly to, expensive. That's going to get more qualitative results yeah. versus quantitative data, isn't it, I guess, uh, to an extent. Uh, so. You know, how many people are you going to ask? Yeah. Uh, do you remember this brand name? Do you remember the last campaign, etc.? Um, it's, it's not easy to measure how far an industry's understanding of a company's come from. I mean, I'm not saying it can't be attempted and it can't be a useful yeah. metric, yeah. Yeah. 
but it's just very hard to attribute the success of a, of a brand awareness campaign, for example. So when you come back to, to what you're saying and you have, let's say, mm -hmm. a, a finance director walking into and asking kind of what the success of a, of a marketing and sales function is, the sales function, I would expect, should always have pretty good results for what they've been doing. Yeah. These sales guys have these targets. They've hit or missed them by this much. Yeah. That's very clear. The marketing department has spent this much on campaigns won't always have something as tangible to show for it. And we're, we're trying to move towards having more to show yeah. in terms of making sure that campaigns are generating results, but some campaigns just don't suit it. And I think that's why you see when budgets get cut, it's, it's often cut from marketing first. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I think we've been around the houses there on data-driven marketing. Uh, is there anything else particularly you'd want to add before we go into what, what a key takeaway might be for yourself or...? Uh, nothing in particular, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. So, what would what if if somebody's taking away one thing from this podcast? What do, what do you think in terms of data-driven marketing? Um, I'd say just take data with a pinch of salt. Absolutely use data, yeah. but don't don't use it as your only thing that you're relying on because yeah. there's obviously a lot of other things going on in terms of qualitative, in terms of um, just other things that customers are experiencing that you might not be able to measure. So, data is only part of the picture, and just remember that. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, I think I'll echo that, echo that thought. So thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of B2B Nav. Um, you hopefully know by now where to find us. You can go on b2bknowledge.com um, to access our um, free updated uh, content hub, um, helping clients, prospects, and uh, contacts navigate the ever-changing B2B marketing landscape. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you.